The podcast of this local government meeting is brought to you by Michigan Radio. For more coverage of local government meetings and to find out how you can support this service, go to michiganradio.org.
call us to order. Good evening and welcome to the June 7th, 2022 regular meeting of the Ann Arbor Planning Commission. For detailed information on meeting procedures, please review the full printed meeting agenda, which is available online. Mr. Leonard, will you please call the roll? Commissioner Mills. Present. Commissioner Gibrandle. Here. Commissioner Sove. Here. Commissioner Abrams. Here. Commissioner Hammerschmidt. Here. Commissioner Dish. Commissioner Lee. Here. Commissioner Clark. Here. Commissioner Weich. Here. We have a quorum. Very good. Next up is approval of the agenda. May I, can I have a commissioner move the agenda? Moved by Commissioner Lee, seconded by Commissioner Gib Randall. Any discussion of the agenda? All in favor of the motion, please raise a hand and or say yes. Yes, yes that's all of the hands. The motion carries. Um, next are the minutes of the previous meeting. Um, Ms. Gale did send them to us before the meeting, but just before. Um, this is the uh, May minutes of the May 17th meeting. Would anyone like to move the minute, uh, move the minutes? Moved by Commissioner Hammersmith, seconded by Commissioner Gib Randall. Any discussion or people feel like they need to still look at them? All right, seeing no, nothing. Let's uh, all in favor of the minutes, please raise a hand or say yes. Yes, very good, that's all of the hands. Next up is item five, which are the reports from city administration, city council, planning manager, officers and committees, and written communications. Commissioner Dish isn't here tonight, so Mr. Leonard, do you have any updates or provide an update on that? Um, yeah, I'm just uh, frantically trying, I was not at the meeting. I think we only had uh, one item, uh, proposed rezoning of 3411 Gettys, no. Um, I apologize, there was a single family annexation that an owner requested, I forget the address, but that was the only thing on the agenda last evening. All right, any commissioner officers? Commissioner Gibrandle. At the DDA Partners Committee, we got a, um, a, a very in-depth report from the head of the AATA, and um, I think it might behoove us to have him come and do a little presentation on their new, um, the, what they have on the, the ballot for this August, because I learned all kinds of things about their service that I just had no idea about in terms of how, and, and it, I think it really can affect how we think about how people get here, because there really are all these different kinds of services, and it was, it was really interesting to hear about. So I think um, it might make sense for us to try to, if it's possible, make that happen before the ballot initiative, <laughs> because I think that we can also be a, a way of being able to translate what that's about to, to others as well um, on our other various appointments and things like that. So um, I would put in a vote for that. I know we have a very full agenda for our working sessions, but I think that it would really be wise of us to be more in touch with um, the range of services and the kinds of services that they provide now and that they're hoping to provide with the ballot initiative. Very good, thank you. Any other committee liaisons? Go ahead, Commissioner Lee. Uh, with respect to transportation last month, we talked about the removal of parking on division, kind of right near Hill, going up to, um, I wanna say it's Madison. Um, 
It's where we have that kind of like segmented, we have the parking separating the bike lanes and the, it's gonna go to city council to just remove the parking period. Require city council action because parking is being removed. Um, but I think the overall consensus was that after looking at outcomes analysis, people were, were parking not within the lanes themselves and creating kind of like traffic pattern issues. Um, so that design is getting, I think, altered and going to uh, um, city council. So um, aside from that, actually, AATA is obviously going to the ballot. So I do think that is something important. Uh, ma making sure that we have land use and transportation <clears throat> um, being aligned in that respect. Um, Aside from that, there's a few other kind of infrastructure level projects that we talked about, but I think the most important one was a division. Um, so uh, that's it. Thank you. Thank you. Any other? Go ahead, Mr. Leonard. I would just also add the Transportation Commission also uh, reviewed and endorsed the proposed parking amendments that the Planning Commission uh, proffered. Very good. Uh, ORC did meet two weeks ago. Um, we had an early conversation with Mr. Leonard about uh, including sustainability within the UDC. So we talked about electrification, solar readiness, um, kind of helped think through what some options might be. And I'm expecting that we'll see that back to the full committee-ish soon. Yeah, great. <laughs> Shunit soonish. I, I like that. Great. <laughs> um, anything else? No, then we can move on. There were some communications in our packets about a range of different topics. Um, some TC1, some, uh, many TC1, um, but uh, others as well. So um, we are on to item six then, which is the first opportunity for public comment. Persons have the opportunity to speak for up to three minutes about an issue that's not listed as a public hearing on this agenda. We'll first call on individuals who are present here in council chambers to address the commission and then remote participants. To speak during the public hearing, if you're joining remotely, please, please press star nine if you're listening by phone or use the raised hand feature if you're viewing through the web link. For phone access, call 877-853-5247 and then enter meeting ID 977-6634-1226. Mr. Leonard will call, select those who have raised their hand using the last three digits of your telephone number or calling your name if you've joined through Zoom. You'll hear an automated announcement that the host is allowing you to speak and when speaking, please move to a quiet area and mute any television or background sounds so that we can hear you clearly. For either method of participation, please state your name and address at the beginning of your comments. Is there anyone here that would like to provide public comment? Mr. Garber. Thank you, Chair Mills. Ken Garber, 28 Haverhill Court. Um, I'm going to talk about building electrification yet again. Let me read you some petitioner quotes from recent meetings. Quote, Oh, this is from uh, Maple Cove 2 architect about the owner. Quote, it's still a long ways off in his thinking to make a commitment, but he is not objecting to doing electrification. It is one option he is considering, end quote. On 212 Miller, we'll be looking at everything as we get further into the project. 330 Detroit Street, we honestly are not sure what we will be using for our heating and cooling system. We're working through it. Notice the pattern? Deflection, not discussion. No one wants to talk about upfront costs, lifetime ROI, supply chain issues, energy use intensity, coefficients of performance. Information that would be useful to commission 
to staff, and to the public. That's because to engage in this discussion would be to legitimize it. When they say, it's too soon to talk, what they're really saying is, it's none of your business how we heat our buildings. You can bring up parking, stormwater, setbacks, curb cuts, but stay out of our basement mechanical room. They have a point. This is not a zoning issue. It's a building code issue. It's to this commission's great credit that it does push electrification, and you are exploring amending the UDC. I am grateful for that, personally. But electrification is not some nice extra. It is not an option. It is not something we hope developers consider when they get around to drawing up their final plans. It's official city policy as of June 1st, 2020. That's when council approved the 820 plan. Strategy two, action one of the plan on page 32 includes the following assumption, quote, all new residential and commercial buildings are designed and built to operate without the use of natural gas, end quote. We may not always have the authority to enforce it, but it's there. We are failing. Maple Cove 2, 212 Miller, and 330 Detroit together will put 1,187 metric ton CO2 equivalent emissions a year into the atmosphere if they use gas. That figure takes into account the hybrid dual fuel pump system at 212 Miller, which actually only, only reduces gas emissions by maybe 10%. For perspective, those nearly 1,200 tons wipe out most of the emission savings from the two megawatts of new solar installed through the city's solarized group buying program. Installing solar is self-defeating when at the same time we're locking in gas for the next half century. The climate does not respond to good intentions or to symbolic acts or to carbon neutrality targets. It only responds to one thing, and that's the raw physics. How much CO2 and other greenhouse gases we dump into the atmosphere. That's it, nothing more. Thank you. Mr. Leonard, are there any callers online that have indicated an interest in speaking? There are not. All right, I'll, we'll move on to the next item, which uh, is number seven, the public hearings that are scheduled for our next regular meeting. We have no new public hearing scheduled for the 23rd. Do we currently have anything else that we're expecting to return? Uh, not currently. Okay, very good, so. Potentially. In a, a, a TA presentation. I was actually thinking that, but maybe not in person. Anyway, okay. Uh, to be talked about later. Um, okay, item eight then is regular business. So 8A is a 340 Depot Street site plan and planned unit development rezoning. While Mr. Leonard is bringing in the petitioners. I will remind folks that the petitioners will have up to 10 minutes to provide a presentation. Uh, then we'll have a staff report and the public hearing before commission discussion of the item. Hello, Mr. Kowalski. Good evening. I think, oh, well, actually, I think we're going to lead off with the petitioner's presentation we, first. We will, yep. And I was just wanting okay. to see, do we have everybody? Sorry. Mr. Nims, do you have everybody that you're expecting? Or is it just you? Uh, it's just me and uh, Mr. Hirsch from uh, Midwestern Consulting. Great. I, I believe he's on. Okay. And does everybody who, it, do you need to share slides? Do you have that ability? 
Yeah, I think so. Let me just. Oh, I'm still disabled from screen sharing. I think uh, Brett may have to uh, give them permission. There we go. There we go. Can you guys see right. that? We yes. can. All okay, right. great. Um, it's been about a year since we were before everybody uh, previously to discuss this project. Uh, I was just going to take a moment to kind of go through where we started and now where, where we ended up uh, and then turn it back over to, uh, to Matt for his report. But, um, you know, we're, we're looking at 340 depots uh, directly south of the train station. Um, we have the, the master plan zoning, which uh, calls for this entire block between depot and summit. Uh, for central commercial office. We are looking to have this rezoned PUD uh, due to some conflicting land use buffers and uh, to alleviate some of the requirements of the C1B front setback as well to better align with the city master plan goals. Uh, the current zoning is C1B for our parcel. Uh, the parcel directly south of us, the Garnet, which is under construction right now, was previously rezoned uh, as PUD for residential use. Um, part of the, the reason we're seeking the P or the major reason we're seeking the PUD is, is due to these 15 foot conflicting land use uh, buffer setbacks. And that's not because the zoning uh, itself is uh, something that requires a conflicting land use, but the residential use of the properties uh, to the east and to the south of us uh, require that 15 foot uh, setback. And when we uh, capture that along with the 10 foot setback that is required for C1B in the zoning, we end up with a build of a really kind of minute buildable area uh, of about 3,400 square feet. Uh, there is an existing building on the site. Uh, it is non-conforming. You can see that it is set back uh, uh, significantly from the street. Um, it is not meeting height requirements, not meeting massing requirements. Um, and so we're seeking to, uh, you know, remove that and redevelop. Uh, when we met about a year ago, I think it was June 22nd, uh, we came forward with this uh, main level plan. Uh, we had 10 parking spaces, uh, some small retail and small office use with uh, access way from the public sidewalk back into a residential lobby and core with single stair and elevator to access four residential units uh, up on the second level. Uh, in that meeting, we talked uh, about a lot of things. I think it was a really productive meeting and um, we came back uh, after hearing what everybody said, which was really about a reduction in parking, seeking some more uh, sustainable goals with the property and, and offering something that activated the sidewalk uh, more significantly than we were doing by having the parking along the front uh, and reconfigured uh, the, the first floor layout to involve uh, 65, about 650 square feet of retail uh, along the street with a patio. Uh, we'll get to some images later and talk about how we activated that area. About 750 square feet of office. That residential core uh, mostly remains the same. Uh, we also split access between ramps and stairs uh, and then created uh, covered patio space within the building envelope itself, but also exterior patio space elevated above a retaining or at a retaining wall that's uh, about two feet. Uh, above the sidewalk plane. Um, this retaining wall is really important because uh, the floodplain map designated by this blue line is drawn to that existing retaining wall when they came and redid uh, the FEMA floodplain maps. Uh, so this portion of the retaining wall is going to remain. We might rebuild it in place, uh, but the footprint will mostly remain unchanged and we're shortening it slightly uh, to accommodate these different modes of access 
uh, from the sidewalk into, into the development. Um, you know, from that discussion, uh, we kept the, the, the four main units uh, on the upper level, just one, one level of units, um, about 775 square feet for the one bedroom units, about 1300 square feet for the two bed. This unit did get a little bit larger than it was previously. Previously, uh, we kind of came straight across uh, from this little recess here, uh, but uh, just in working through some of the logistics and wanting to offer uh, a more substantial uh, unit type uh, outside of the one bedrooms, we, we, we accommodated this 1300 square foot two bedroom. Uh, that also came in conjunction with the addition of a third floor patio, uh, roof access, uh, and 2,000 square feet of green roof uh, to be applied to help with, and Ted can talk to some of the numbers if we want, um, our, our first flush and our stormwater requirements to help slow some of that uh, stormwater runoff on the property. Uh, so the building continues to, you know, move and evolve as, as things do. We're, we're maintaining the 650 square feet of retail and the 750 square feet of office. Uh, most of this is, is unchanged. We have included one uh, EV installed for these two spaces here, uh, EV ready to cover the rest of the spaces, which will exceed the minimum requirements that the, that the parcel will need. Uh, we have class A bike parking located over here. Um, I think this is noted as class C, but it will have a small canopy that covers it. So I think it might count as class B bicycle parking uh, along the front and then some more class A bike parking uh, for the residences uh, stuffed in, in the back. Uh, again, the upper floor units, they'll all have uh, ample balconies along the north face. Um, we have indicating some windows to let some daylight into the hallway. Uh, that's something we're still kind of playing with. Uh, we're still showing this little recess here, but this is the increase of that second floor unit. Uh, and again, the roof patio uh, with 2,000 square feet of green roof at a minimum uh, to help uh, mitigate some of the storm runoff. Uh, surrounding character, we tried to uh, work within the, the low density uh, area, uh, mostly single story uh, directly adjacent to us. Um, uh, kind of an industrial look to a lot of the buildings. It is kind of a semi-historic area. Uh, we have Lower Town and Cary Town as adjacent as adjoining neighborhoods. Uh, the Garnet uh, directly to the south of us. Uh, and, and the building uh, that we're proposing, which we think keeps in scale with the surrounding buildings, uh, helps to meet a few of the master plan goals of the city by being able to shift this forward to within four feet of the property line uh, and get a massing uh, a volume that is more in line with, the, with where we feel the city is trying to go and also adding a, a mix of residential unit types that, to fill a kind of a needed gap for that small, um, that smaller unit size uh, for rent. So this is a view from the Northeast. This is showing uh, the patio that will serve the retail, but also how the, there's a plan to design this rail to fold down into seats. So that will allow you know, a momentary respite place for pedestrians along the sidewalk. Just a view existing conditions of that non-conforming building uh, from the east and, and how we would propose to bring that more into alignment. The view from the northwest view from the bridge. I know we talked about this a little bit, how you know, we'll have views of that green roof up on the top. Um, and I think that's something that owners uh, are feeling very confident about. 
And then just a couple more shots. So this is, we can see the sidewalk and the stair entry separations. Uh, this will be the office portion with the retail portion behind these windows over in this area. And a view from the west. And finally, uh, a, a dusk view showing, indicating some of the lighting that is proposed, uh, all down lighting that'll comply with the dark sky policies that the city is trying to, uh, trying to adopt. I don't know if Ted wants to speak for a moment about. Yeah, can everyone hear me? We can, go ahead. Yep. yep. Yeah, so uh, pretty simple as far as utilities. Um, all of the public infrastructure in Depot Street is going to be utilized, uh, tapping the existing sanitary and uh, water main. Um, the one little bit unique aspect would be that uh, the neighbor 320 Depot Street has an existing um, water service lead that crosses um, the frontage of 340 Depot Street. Um, so as part of the project, that connection will be eliminated and they'll have a new connection that gets taken straight out to Depot Street along their frontage. Um, as far as storm, um, David had mentioned earlier that the, uh, the project proposes a green roof, um, so that'll be handling the first flush stormwater uh, management requirements and will be outlining the Depot Street. There'll be some new uh, storm sewer constructed out in the um, in the curb lines uh, connects to some existing storm sewer uh, to the east. And then we just have this uh, this last slide here to kind of illustrate um, in that pink patched area is where the existing uh, water lead, the 320 Depot Street, runs right now. And it actually is within uh, kind of peculiar easement um, that the project is proposing to be abandoned. So um, there's, there's an existing retaining wall to help deal with the grade change um, from the street and the sidewalk to the site. And essentially the project is gonna be reconstructing that retaining wall in the, in the same exact place as that. Um, so in order to comply with city standards and not having um, retaining walls and, and other features uh, in an easement for, for public right of way, um, the project proposes to have that uh, vacated, that portion vacated. So uh, we've discussed that with staff and um, it won't uh, it won't impact the sidewalk. It won't impact the public's use of um, the actual right of way on Depot Street. Uh, it just kind of cleans up um, some of the stuff on the existing parcel. And I think I think this is a good place to to note. We don't have a map, and we don't have a quantified amount uh, uh, offhand. Um, this site historically was owned by. And DT, by DTE and they operated a coke plant on it. So uh, a couple of times in the past, uh, DTE has come in and removed some soils uh, from the north side of the property. They've also come in and removed some soils from the south side of the property. They continue to monitor it and it is on their list. Um, they suspect there's contaminated soils underneath the building, but they don't have access to them. So as part of this uh, redevelopment, and this is outlined in the, in the PUD, there will be uh, remediation to those soils uh, consistent with, with state guidelines uh, to remove those um, 
uh, to the whatever extent necessary. Uh, we have reached 10 minutes just for the chairs. Oh. Very good. Thank you very much. Mr. Kowalski, um, anything to add? Sure. Uh, good evening, everybody. Um, well, I'll just, uh, they did a great job summarizing up the, the details of the actual project. What I'll just touch on a little bit are uh, what we have in this uh, supplemental regulations, as I'm sure all planning commission is aware, um, as a PUD, it has its own set of supplemental regulations, basically its own zoning district that we have written for, uh, for this, this project in particular. Um, so a couple of these, but with that, with the PUD, there's some findings that staff and ultimately planning commission would have to agree with in order to approve the PUD, well, and ultimately city council in order to approve those, the PUD. Um, those are outlined in the supplemental regulations. I was just gonna read those, um, the kind of, the, the more detailed ones just really quickly so we can, um, for anybody listening in the audience as well that may not have access to that. So, um, and these are, again, some of the noted findings of the PUD and, I mean, you could call them the public benefits, but those are the items that, again, we, in exchange for some of this flexibility we're giving them, these are some of the things we get back. So, um, again, a, a small-scale mixed-use project providing a minimum of about 1,300 square feet of office or retail use on the first floor. Again, those are things that are outlined in the supplemental regulations that the first floor would remain retail or office use. Um, the, the land use by reducing the parking and using that floor area to provide retail or office uses instead that will help activate that street front. Again, that was something that came out of uh, PC suggestion from your original pre-PUD conference. Um, activation of that ground floor through the uh, reduced front, front setback, bringing that back. The code, as you saw in the previous diagram, would push the building back you know, 10 feet. And again, while we're, we're, they're proposing up to four feet, in that area, it's very consistent with that with the surrounding street, streetscape. Many of those buildings are right at the front property line. Um, the minimum of a 2,000 square foot of uh, vegetative roof to assist with stormwater as well as um, any heat island effects. Um, the design aesthetics consistent with the neighborhood, buildings designed in materials uh, consistent with the surrounding area and high quality materials, they say not the, uh, and again, what we've got locked in, the elevations that are provided for you will be I think Mr. Kowalski, there you go. Did I just go, did I just mute? Somehow? You did. Uh, we, I'll, you I'll left speak. us at high quality materials-ish. Oh. If you want to go back to that bullet. To... Okay, <laughs> thank you. I don't know how I haven't apologized. And, and really the last one is, was already previously mentioned, was the environmental re remediation. I mean, obviously they can do some around the building with the existing building um, being there that, that would make that part difficult. Um, one other, the other things that I, I wanted to touch on, so, and, and the permitted uses, again, other than kind of restricting that first floor use to the, they, they are kind of open to other flexibilities within the, the general C1B, what's allowed within that C1B district as far as retail uses, office uses, and obviously residential. Um, one other thing I wanted to touch on, because we did put it as a, um, it was mentioned briefly by uh, Mr. Hirsch, I believe, as uh, part of the project, which is a, a bit of a vacation, a street, well, it's not quite a street vacation. Well, it's not a street vacation. It's a right-of-way vacation in the front of it of the four feet of kind of uh, of an extra public right-of-way that, that we have. But that has been um, that has been discussed up engineering, and they do support that, that vacating of that four feet. It's not consistent with the surrounding area. So I even had a meeting just about two hours before this to discuss that. It ultimately will have to go to city council for final approval of that vacation. But, um, and that would be something that would have to be done before building permits, but we, I will fo be following up with the petitioner after this and we will, um, 
get that get that process moving. I mean, it, it's possible to even, well, I'm not sure. It may be possible to get it um, synced up with this project as it goes to, as this project, as you know, has to go to council because it's a rezoning as well as a site plan. So if it's not hooked up directly with that, it would be shortly after that. And um, ideally with staff's support that the that vacation would be approved and obviously the project could go forward. So um, that, that really summarizes up my presentation at this time. And of course I am available for any questions and staff is recommending approval of the project. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right, at this time, I will open the public hearing. Uh, this is an opportunity for persons to speak for up to three minutes about the 340 Depot PUD zoning district and site plan, which will be for city council approval. We'll first call on individuals here that are in council chambers and then remote participants. Again, if you have already dialed in, you can press star nine if you're listening by phone. Uh, you can use the raised hand feature if you're viewing through the web link, or you can call now at 877-853-5247 and enter meeting ID 977-6634-1226. Mr. Leonard will select those who have raised their hand. Uh, when speaking, please move to a quiet area and mute any background sounds so that we can hear you clearly. Please also state, the na state your name and address at the beginning of your comments. Anyone here like to participate in the public hearing. Thank you again, Chair Mills. Ken Garber again. Um, there are benefits to this PUD, including four housing units, some office or retail, one installed EV parking space, and some likely um, soil cleanup. I don't see affordable housing or an affordable housing contribution. I can't find a sustainability review from OSI um, in the documents. But I will focus on the green roof and on electrification. Green roofs are great. They insulate and reduce heat loss. Uh, they absorb CO2 and they retain stormwater. But let's quantify the emissions from 340 Depot. There was a study recently in the journal Aerosol and Air Quality Research analyzing a state-of-the-art green roof in Wuxi, China, which has a hot summer, cold winter climate. That green roof absorbs, and I apologize for the numbers, 1.79 kilograms CO2 per square meter annually, and emission savings from lower energy use come to 9.35 kilograms CO2 per square meter. 340 Depot will have 2,000 square feet of vegetated roof or 186 square meters. Applying the Wuxi Group's figures, this roof should prevent about two tons of CO2 emissions annually. Now I calculate that heating 340 Depot with gas will generate 64 tons annual CO2 equivalent emissions without the green roof. That's based on average Michigan consumption figures from the American Gas Association and EIA figures for the retail. The green roof will only, only reduce these 64 tons CO2 by two tons or 3%. To get at the other 97%, this building really has to go all electric. And maybe it will. Mr. Hirsch in his January 14th letter to the city wrote, Quote, the owner, project architect, and MEP team continue to review this opportunity for this project. However, they are not able to fully commit to an electric energy only project, end quote. Let's hope it's still on the table. But don't accept another, it's too early to decide deflection. In your packet are the notes from the citizen participation meeting on October 7th, where architect Wayne Chubb said, quote, we are investigating an all electric building, end quote. That was eight months ago. How much more time do they need? 
Again, the climate does not respond to good intentions or symbolic gestures. It only responds to the hard reality of the physics. The green roof is great, but it doesn't make 340 depot sustainable or make it conform to A20. If the petitioner doesn't know how to go all electric, uh, they should talk to Ryan Tobias of Jackson Dearborn Partners or architect John Majewski, the team putting up 211 Packard. The petitioner should commit tonight to a fully electric building using efficient heat pump system. If not, I suggest you vote no on the motion. Grounds would be City Code Chapter 55, Section 52910, Paragraph 3B. The development does not comply with all local standards. In this case, Strategy 2, Action 1 of the A20 plan adopted by Council in 2020. Thank you. Thank you. Mr. Leonard, is there anyone who's joined remotely indicating an interest in speaking? And again, if you've joined, you can press star nine to raise your hand or use the raised hand button, which is in the bottom of your screen. Um, nobody indicating a desire to speak. Um, I do know, I, I would like to note though, that I did forward a communication uh, just a few moments ago that we did receive earlier in the day on this uh, application that will be amended to your packet. If you haven't had a chance, I'd advise, uh, make sure you skim that as well. Very good, thank you. All right, seeing no one else, I'll close the public hearing and I will read the motion. The Ann Arbor City Planning Commission hereby recommends that the Mayor and City Council approve the 340 Depot Planned Unit Development Zoning District and Supplemental Regulations and the PUD Site Plan with the following condition. The additional four feet of right-of-way referenced in L3978 P810 is an easement for public right-of-way is vacated by City Council prior to issuance of building permits. Can I have a commissioner move that? Moved by Commissioner Sove, seconded by Commissioner Gibrandel. Who wants to kick off discussion or questions? No one does. Commissioner Gibrandel. I guess I would just like the petitioner to respond to what the public comment that we got from Mr. Garber, especially in regards to kind of quotes from the past about exploring electrification as a possibility and where the team is now after um, the eight months time. Uh, I can speak to that briefly. We, uh, the owner has been reluctant to pursue any further engineering on the project due to the fact that we, he was uncertain as to how, how these initial hearings would go. Uh, so we spent the time uh, reshaping the property to incorporate a lot of the things we heard outside of uh, the scope that would involve engineering, which would give us those results. I know it's not the answer um, you guys want to hear, but it, it, it hasn't gone away. It's just something we haven't started to look at uh, thoroughly yet with, with costs and um, everything, because the, the owner wanted some uh, guarantees before he took on the, the extra costs of, of pursuing that step. Other comments or questions? People are quiet tonight. Go ahead, Commissioner Lee. I don't know if people have read the 
<clears throat> um, the email that just came through regarding the Garnets, uh, the detrimental impact to views, noise, et cetera. Um, do we have somebody that could speak to the accuracy of their concerns about correcting public record and also its impacts to the Garnet, um, whether that's to staff or to the petitioner? I'm not sure who that question goes to. Um, Let's start with uh, uh, Mr. Kowalski. I think he received that correspondence earlier today, but I, I, I will start that I think um, one of the comment was about, um, was concluding detrimental. And, um, you know, to be clear, I think that, I think that is an, an interpretation rather than a defined code m manner. Um, but I would note that one of the specific uh, planning and development modifications that is being proposed here is a reduction of the conflicting land use buffer. Um, which would provide a little bit more separation. However, in both cases of the building that's under construction now and this one, it is obviously an intensification of development of that area. Uh, the only thing I would add just briefly, uh, sorry, I don't actually have a lot of more information. I did discuss this with the petitioner earlier, so I would um, ask if, the, if, if either Mr. Nims or Mr. Hirsch would want to respond to that as well. Yeah, so um, I, we, talked about this email as Matt uh, mentioned. The, what, what we can uh, assess is, uh, as I noted in the presentation, the second, the, the unit on the west side uh, of the building grew by about 200 square feet and it grew towards the south property line. Uh, previously, uh, as I kind of noted that where we had that recess in the middle, it went straight across uh, with just a small bump. And so it kind of came about six feet closer by aligning itself with the with the uh, lower level uh, building defined, that defines the parking. And I believe that's what they're referencing because uh, formerly that was not there and the, where the, the at point at which we met the south property line, from what we could tell from the Garnet plans was going to align mostly with their elevator core and stair or their stair core uh, that also abutted the property line on that side. So the PUD that we're talking about would make it closer, basically, by eliminating that um, conflicting land use buffer. Uh, understood. I mean, it, it's. I think that happens with densification, uh, frankly. That that at least in, in my viewpoint. So um, I, I certainly do understand. Uh, overall, let me talk broadly and generally. Um, I think they, they listened to the comments that we had when this came to us last about the orientation of the site, the removal of parking, as well as the activation of the sidewalk through putting retail kind of forward. So to that, to that effect, I, I applaud the architects in rethinking um, the orientation of the site. And I, I do um, think that this looks um, overall uh, pretty good and to be responsive to the concerns that we had last time. Um, that being said, I, I understand the costs associated with pulling, uh, you know, a mechanical electrical um, engineering drawing set uh, relative to schematic design. Uh, however, it is it obviously um, this isn't exactly uh, new. I mean, we talk about this literally every meeting. So, uh, I guess forgive me for saying uh, it is somewhat still. Um, I don't know if disappointment's the right word, but it, it, it's. It, uh, it, to have a more robust, substantive answer and engagement with that question um, would have been uh, preferable. 
but th- that being said, I, I, I overall stepping back. Um, thank you for addressing that. Uh, again, detrimental, I think, is kind of a big word. <laughs> I mean, I think it's a kind of a salient word uh, for, for somebody that's evaluating the purchase of a condo in the Garnet. Um, it, as far as noise mitigation, hopefully that uh, they can minimize the impacts on the nearby uses. But overall, the activation from people traveling by train um, and, and one of the things that I thought of is, you know, based on utilization, let's try to advocate for kind of a crosswalk so that people have an easy way to cross. <laughs> um, but aside from that, I do appreciate the petitioner listening to what we had to um, say and then reorienting the site in that regard. So um, for, I think I'll, I'll leave it there for now and, and, and yield the rest of my time. Thanks. Other comments? Commissioner Weich. I just want to echo uh, Commissioner Lee. I think you actually said everything I was going to say, so I'll just uh, highlight it again, which is I really appreciate the petitioner taking into consideration the comments of um, uh, the Planning Commission and the activation of uh, the first level uh, creation of that patio, as well as the elimination of the parking spots. Uh, the only other uh, concern I have is the same concern that Mr. Garber uh, shared during his public comments was just uh, sort of renewable energy uses for the building. And uh, I think the petitioner has responded. It's not a, um, well, I'll just leave it at that they've responded. But I did want to acknowledge um, it, my additional <laughs> appreciation of um, all of the changes uh, to the site plan and the PUD from our first um, presentation. I'll second, third that, <laughs> um, and say that I am, I look forward to this coming to fruition. I'll be even more excited if in your mechanicals, you're able to, uh, once those plans are developed, it is an all electric building. Um, I think that this, that would be fantastic. Um, I typically, when we're, because I'm a nerd and like to look at the code, <laughs> um, I think through what are we seeing that in the pictures that the PUD doesn't necessarily capture, um, the, the regulations don't necessarily capture. And I think actually this hues very closely to what um, we're, what the site plan includes. My sense and um, uh, is in, in terms of, it's very clear that there shall not be more than six vehicle parking spots. Like those are the kind of things that I think about. Um, it's very clear that they need to have at least eight class A bikes and four class C bike spots. Um, the EV parking is in here. Um, what's the current floor area? Uh, in in the in the regulations, it's eight thousand square feet. What is proposed, Mr. Kowalski or the petitioner? Do you know? It's it's roughly seven thousand. Oh, I have the exact number: seven thousand eight hundred and thirty square yep, feet of floor yes. area. Seven hundred eight thirty. Okay. So with the PD, we did we did um, max FAR of eight thousand. A little bit of wiggle room there. 
And I think that that's great. And I was going to say, like, there is no height limit here. I mean, practically speaking, like, you're going to have a height limit. I mean, I, I would actually, in some ways, be okay with additional flexibility. We, I think we talked last time about adding on the potential to add on another story, not asking for a redesign by any means, but allowing for that flexibility. I just want to note that that's probably not in here. Um, highlight that for other people. Um, in terms of, let's see, I, I think, Mr. Kowalski, thank you for noting <laughs> that the, P, the, the PUD regs require some kind, require office or retail on the first floor. Um, but I think and want to highlight that there is some flexibility. It could all be retail. It could all be office. And it, allowing for that flexibility, I think, is wise. Um, but in case anybody is dead set on having a party store or something here, like, or coffee shop, maybe we won't, hopefully we get it, maybe we won't. Um, I just thought I would highlight that for my colleagues. And the thing that I thought was interesting that is among the reasons why PUDs are, I think, why our code says that they, you know, uh, they're only to be used in certain circumstances. Item G talks about the materials um, and effectively, uh, you know, says brick, cast stone, metal plates, glass that's shown on this site plan. And so I feel like that's tying them in <laughs> to a particular like material use that if, there, if there's ever redevelopment, again, like they're still going to be held to that. And I, it's just, I, I think that what's in the plan is beautiful and I, and I think it'll be great. Um, I just, I was just thinking about what this is next and maybe, you know, maybe these things, these things all are things that I think would last a while, but anyway, that just struck me. Um, overall, I, again, I'm, I'm comfortable in establishing a PUD district with, with these criteria. I don't, I think that what we're seeing is likely what we'll get and I would just say, like, I would even be comfortable offering additional flexibility for the future. But I would imagine that that's also going to run into uh, implications with neighbors as well. So, Commissioner Abrams, I saw your hand maybe before I started talking, <laughs> or just as I started talking. Um, oh, but also I see Mr. Kowalski's hand up. Yes. Go, oh, go sorry. Ahead. Go ahead. I, I, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I, I did want to add a clarification, something that I, I, that I meant to mention earlier, and it's directly related to the floor area. Um, in conversations, this had come up a, a couple of months ago or so, regarding the environmental re remediation, that the petitioner, and we just talked about it again today, would like to have the option to, if, if it, enough of it has to be excavated out, to enable to, be, to add a, a basement. And we, we do count basements as floor areas, so... Um, in those discussions, I wanted to mention that to the Planning Commission that we can, I mean, we can as a PUD, I can write in, you know, with the maximum 8,000 square feet, not including basement floor area, or we could put in maybe a limitation on that if Planning Commission um, uh, so felt that that would work in that direction, or we could just up maybe the, uh, the maximum floor area to accommodate a basement if it's possible. But again, I mean, uh, Mr. Nims may be able to add a little bit to that, but in our conversations, it's not 100% sure, but depending on the environmental contamination, as I said, and what needs to be removed excavation, there could be a basement in the building. So I neglected to mention that earlier, apologize. So I just wanted to lend that at this point in case that 
has influence on anybody's uh, discussion or questions. Thank no. you. Thank you, Matt, for um, um, touching on that point. The basement wouldn't be allowed to exceed be above 3,000 square feet due to the fact that we would just carry one stair down and the elevator down. Um, that being said, we don't want to get into a situation where we're supporting cars underneath basement, so we probably would only isolate it to the office wing portion uh, of the building, and I think that's probably around 1,200 square feet. I don't know off the top of my head. Um, but yeah, given that we're not sure how much soil has to come out, if we were to go down far enough, uh, the owner would, would uh, be amenable to having the option of that additional space um, available in the building. Thank you. And so again, so with that from planning commission, we can um, we can kind of set a limit or, it, at your suggestion or or we can work with the petitioner afterwards before we get to council to kind of work out whether or not you guys feel if it's if we want to put a limitation on there or just a basement floor area exempt. Um, so additional for discussion. Great. I'm cool with either one, either just overall increasing the floor area or saying that the basement doesn't count. Again, I think just increasing overall the square footage allowed gives more flexibility. <laughs> but uh, I welcome others' opinions too. Now, Commissioner Abrams. Um, I just wanted to briefly ask a follow-up question on, on the question of building electrification. Um, and maybe Mr. Nims could say whether, uh, I understand that the engineering has not yet been completed, but I wondered if you would feel comfortable uh, giving us more information about the intention um, as you move into that process and whether electrification is something you plan to pursue and would only abandon, you know, under extreme circumstances um, or whether, you know, it's a uh, icing on the cake. Um, yeah, I, th I think there's a fair amount of uh, confidence in uh, systems for the residential units uh, that are electric. Um, it's it's more the, the retail components uh, that in, in our really preliminary discussions have, have, you know, led to, well, does this make the space less viable to somebody uh, if they're uh, trying, trying to lease it? So that's kind of where the conversations have really stalled. Uh, because we hadn't pursued engineering and, and started to look at any of those initial costs for um, and life cycle costs of uh, or for the building. Okay, but but what I think I'm hearing is that the intention is to pursue electrification if possible. Yeah, I, I don't think the owner has. Uh, yeah, if it's if it's financially feasible for them to to pursue it, they don't have any uh, issues with with pursuing it. Um, and we just have to evaluate these other factors still with them. Okay, thank you. And then my other question I think is um, for staff. Uh, I, I have not had a chance to, to really look at this email that just came in. So I'm, I feel like I'm kind of playing a little bit of catch up, but just so I understand the the question is about both the Garnet and this building being built up to the property line and the distance between them is that correct or go ahead, Commissioner Lee? Yeah, because I spoke about this earlier, if I could respond directly to that. Sure. Uh, um, well, so I, I did have the opportunity while this discussion was happening to take a look at what they were saying. Look at the second floor plate um, on the north 
side of the garnet. And the units there have a balcony in the bedroom units on the first, I think, and second floor that are basically going to have, you know, just a complete wall built up right to it. So what they were saying is that overall the development seems to be good for the city, but it is not accurate to call it uh, with no detrimental impact to uh, the adjacent property or neighboring um, owners. So, so I, I do want to, you know, earlier I said, you know, I think it's a byproduct of density. I, I do want to recognize that um, it would be helpful to see uh, kind of that north-south um, axonometric and or aerial. I think that, that the, um, the person, yeah, the, the sectional that they, they were asking for. So I was actually, um, the petitioner, is there any response to the um, Garnett's uh, northern balconies on the second floor that would be adversely impacted by this? So I think I, I cut out for just a second there. Um, if, I, if I caught everything, um, I don't know if I can share my, can I share my screen again? That might be easy, the easiest. Is that, is that okay to do? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. go for it. Okay, let me just get back to the page. So I gotta get back to the floor plan. So we don't have let me get to the site plan that might show it better. So this green line is a slight error. It should be over at this column line. Uh, in our study, um, the the. We, we didn't have full plans of the garnet. We just knew, you know, we gathered their footprint. Uh, I think the there's a bedroom located here with a balcony. So that happens at this recess. So I think they're about five feet set back from the property line. Currently, uh, we will be roughly eight feet back. So there's about 13 feet between uh, where that first balcony will be and where this recess occurs. I believe there's some overlap in the second balcony uh, in this zone that will not be at that 13 foot uh, distance. Um, and then they still have their large balcony facing west, so we're not necessarily encumbering that, but there is a small window, I believe, in their living unit that would be um, abutting, you know, at where this wall was stepped back to, if that's answering the question. I do think that sufficiently answered the question. So the, um, the, the public commenter, Daniel Marquard's concern that um, public records should be corrected to reflect that there is um, somewhat of a negative impact specifically on that unit. I think it's a fair comment. Um, it, but again, uh, so hopefully that, that responds to your, your question. Um, as, as you were saying, hey, what, what's happening here? So I think it's just that north west unit with the, it's, it looks like it's on the second bedroom. Oh, you, you pulled up the right one there, Sarah. Right, right there. Oh, no, you were at the right one. So um, overall, that's, it, it still doesn't detract from me for, for, for my recommendation of, uh, or my sense that the PUD seems appropriate and that the overall comments have been heard. Um, but I do want to obviously recognize the public commenter's um, position that there is going to be some level of adverse impact to those two particular balconies, which really won't be very functional <laughs> at that point in time. Commissioner Abrams, do you have more questions for staff or? Okay. 
Commissioner Gibrandel. Um, personally, I feel like that's it. It. it it is a detriment to those people, but I think that like any building downtown, if you don't own it, then, and you're in the lower part of it, then it's just, it's part of city life. And I know that that stinks for the people that have that unit, but any building that is up against, you know, the, the zoning allows greater height, frankly, you know, and it's the, it was the Garnet's risk to have an orientation in that direction, knowing that it could be built on this side. So that's kind of how I feel about it, that I'm sorry for those particular people, but I think that's just the way the cookie crumbles when you're building in an urban environment. Um, and I, I guess I also just want to piggyback on the electrification thing again, knowing that I know we are limited in this range in terms of what we can ask for. Um, it, you had indicated in the beginning that the owner sort of wanted some sense of security, and it seems based on the conversation tonight that we are giving you a sense of security. And so I would hope that in your pursuit of this as the building develops further, that um, if that's truly the reason, that you would um, actually explore this in an authentic way in terms of the uh, reality of what we're dealing with um, with our society so we would can only hope that you can do your part i guess is what i would say um because we can't ask it of you but um we hope that you will rise to the occasion to be able to uh, be a part of solutions that we are grasping at frankly at this point so go ahead commissioner Silvey, and then mr leonard I'll just I'll just add a comment to the residential use versus residential zoning and I think this has come up a, you know a few times in projects and when we talk about residential use for those conflicting land use buffers it's typically in more commercial zoning in urban you know centric zoning uh, properties and so not to add to our commission proposed business, but it seems like this is kind of the line where residential and those buffers are appropriate and where the kind of urban uh, corridors and centers really maybe don't have this because really what it's saying is the first mover gets the most land and everybody else has to move away because of it. And what we're seeing here is a small site trying to get units to happen and having to ask for this PUD to make room for it to happen because the other properties got to it first. And then I, I, don't, I don't see the kind of equality of development within that kind of standard. So I'm just gonna kind of put that on record as something I would like to see and continue in conversation what the difference is between a use and a zoning uh, expectation for some of our ordinances. To the max area, I would also like to offer up into the calculation if the parking is not included and the open air covered patio is not included, that both of those be included in potential square footage areas in case they do want to enclose those for get rid of parking and have a bigger restaurant dining room for their 650 square feet or things like that. So again, adaptive reuse, it would not be any more kind of building form, but could give more room for square footage in the future. So I would be open to that as well. Mr. Leonard. 
Thank you. Um, I want to. I just want to clarify the the use of the word detrimental. Why you're seeing it in the staff report? Um, one of the findings for the planning commission in the city to establish a PUD is the conclusion that it is not having a detrimental impact on surrounding properties. And so I think um, I think appropriately your your conversation here in response to that commenter is trying to figure out what is the commission's um, valuation of that and does it rise to that level of uh, to what extent is it impact to adjacent properties and what impact at what point is that too excessive where it does create a level a detrimental effect so um, I just want to I just want to be clear it goes a little bit back to my comment about the use of that term that is uh, somewhat of a term of art to the commission in the city as to the impact to surrounding properties but I do want to be clear that if the commission finds that that is clearly detrimental that is a potential standard that would not would not be qualified for the issuance of a plan unit development so I just wanted to make sure that um, remind the commission the applicant and and the public that that term is um, is included in our report as an evaluation of that standard it is it's not an arbitrary term by any stretch and staff's assessment is that this is not detrimental and I think personally I would concur with that um, assessment I think we do need to sort out the lot the the floor area and I think that the I appreciate Commissioner Sove as always um, your comment about it, I assume right now the parking area is not included in the floor area Correct. so if they realized that nobody wanted to bring their car there and that they wanted to expand the the uh, office use they couldn't or the retail use they couldn't right now which I don't I want to make sure that we give the buffer for that to happen in the future um, and so in my mind you know if this lot is 6,500 square feet like doubling that it's a two-floor building plus two-story building plus there's that third access to the uh, patio on the third floor I don't know if that is counting in floor area uh, the, the yes the penthouse area correct yeah and then we talked about potentially having a, a basement I mean I, I'm not sure what's in my mind three times 6,500 <laughs> um, with 1950 yeah Okay, <laughs> I was like, okay, um, that seems reasonable to me, like to allow for that potential um, flexibility. Again, there, there's a lot of other things constraining this <laughs> site. So I'm, and, and if we get more units someday, that's not gonna hurt my feelings at all. Um, but I don't know what others think. Or staff, that's like, uh, what are you guys thinking? Like, what are the negative consequences of that? Uh, yeah. Uh, go go ahead, Mr. Kowalski or Mr. Leonard's thinking. Commissioner Sove wants to yeah. chime in, so. Well, I'll let somebody else chime in first. <laughs> I'll just put my architect hat on and say that with one egress stair, you can only do four units. So they'd have to like if the parking went away, they added another egress to add a third, like a full third floor of residential. It would probably 
impede a renovation of that corner unit as well. So just in terms of like fears of the addition, there's building code requirements at egress that would impact more of the core as well. So you're not so worried that this I'm not is so worried that this is going to be a solid three-story building in the future because of the additional uh, code requirements. Staff reactions, other commissioner reactions. I think as far as staff, we can certainly um, again. There's enough other. Typically, what what cautions we would look for, you know, the, the parking. But again, that that would be flexed in here. I, I would have to double check to see. Yes, we do have no minimum. Okay. Um, I wanted to check to see how, make sure I worded the parking requirements so that, but it says no minimum, so that would be correct. They could fill that in. I would review, but I don't think there's anything else within the supplemental regulations, but I could do that offline that would be affected by the, any additional floor area. And <clears throat> absolutely, I mean, that would definitely increase the flexibility of the project, and they are fairly limited in where they can go anyway. We can also <clears throat> cap the height directly if, Again, I don't think there's any intention to go higher than the three stories, but that could be the limiting factor as well. If Planning Commission wanted to count that higher exactly where it's at right now, and we could add the additional area within that building envelope. But I don't see necessarily any other issues with that, but I would review the supplemental regulations again, just to make sure. <clears throat> Mr. Leonard, do you have any feedback or do you want, like, I, I know we need to have a motion to amend. Would you like it to be flexible to say, like, figure out the right? <laughs> Floor area. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to figure that. I'm I'm a little worried about the math at this point. I guess what I am thinking is what I'm hearing from the commission is that the supplemental regs might be modified to say that um, there's a maximum parking location, or that space could be re um, <coughs> reclaimed for floor area. Um, the pad we could include similar language that the outdoor patio could be could be utilized for floor area. And then I think there was a reference to probably because of some of those same building code egress requirements, probably the most that we're going to gain is in the basement is 3,000 square feet. So um, maybe it is upping the maximum square footage uh, by 3,000 square feet and making it clear that regardless of that level, the existing parking and patio could also be converted into floor area space. Um, how's that sound to you, Mr. Kowalski? Uh, yes, thank you. I think that would be a good idea. We could make those calculations and it still gives them that flexibility going forward. So, yeah, absolutely. That seems to be the closest to the intention of what I'm hearing from the Planning yes. Commission. I would just, I just want to be honest that um, in progressing, if this is approved by Planning Commission, goes to City Council. If we, if like in conversations with the Attorney's Office, we think it's better just to up that cap then we would probably go through that exercise and just calculate what those areas are and make that adjustment. And then we would communicate to the city council that that was slightly different from what was adopted at this table. Uh, the, the result would be the same, so. Right. Uh, anyone want to move what Miss? do you have, do, can, how do you want us to um, articulate what that amendment would be? Uh, the motion would be to modify the supplemental regulations to accomplish the following. Add up to 3,000 square feet of additional floor area, period. Clearly allow, uh, on top of that, the conversion of the existing parking area into floor area, as well as the outdoor patio. 
and I would say the covered outdoor patio that we're talking about. Like we still yeah. want the one along yeah. the street, but the covered outdoor patio. Covered outdoor patio. Okay. That sounds good. Does anyone want to move that? Moved by Commissioner Abrams, seconded by Commissioner Sauvet. That sounds good to me. Any discussion of that? Commissioner Lee. Thank you. I just want to make sure I understand. So we're trying to provide the petitioner with the flexibility to convert in the six parking spaces to rentable square footage within the PUD. Um, is it appropriate for me to ask what the petitioner thinks slash feels about that? I'm just, I'd like to get their feedback. They're, they're sure. a stakeholder, <laughs> right? Yeah. I, I mean, the intention is to give them more flexibility. They can right. build exactly what's seen, but... Yeah. Uh, Yes, you may. Just, just want to make sure that I, um, I want to make sure I understand, and I think I do, um, and also just want to make sure to get the feedback from the petitioner. Well, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I, I, I think the owner would be uh, very amenable to uh, that, that exact, those exact conditions. Cool. All right. Thank you. I think I understand. Can I, I just want to clarify, my understanding is that this would be conversion of that space. It would not be adding an equivalent amount of floor area. So the only adding is 3,000 square feet. And I, I wouldn't propose that at this point, maybe we restrict it to the basement. We'll just add that as a cap for flexibility. But then the other two, the covered outdoor patio and parking would strictly be, those could be converted to floor area. Okay. Commissioner Hammerschmidt. I think I have a clarification regarding the base. So the basement is included in floor area. I think the petitioner was talking about not wanting to do basement underneath the parking, but if that wasn't parking anymore for some reason, like does it, I guess I'm asking, does the extra 3,000 square feet allow for a full basement if that was something that was decided? It's not high enough. I don't know what the. I don't think no. so, but I'll let Mr. Nip, oh, sorry. The, the first, I think the first floor is roughly 5,900 square feet and it's okay. it might be a little off on that. Um, so. No, I don't think that we could do a full 3,000 square feet, or we could just match the building footprint uh, when we go down. I think that would exceed the 3,000 square feet that we can serve with a single stair. Um, and we'll have to check egress distances, et cetera. Um, it might be that you know up to a certain column line, we, we uh, pricing works out and we do convert something slightly underneath the parking. I don't, uh, I don't have a great answer for that because we haven't. Again, we didn't study it very far uh, beyond knowing that we need to take these soils out without knowing how much uh, soil needs to come out exactly. So is 3,000 sort of arbitrary or no? That's a code, that's a code limitation for a single stair. I believe it's 3,000 square feet. Got it, okay, thank you. I pointed to Commissioner Sauvé since she's our code expert. <laughs> Any other discussion of the proposed motion to amend? All, we can just do a voice vote. All in favor of the uh, motion, please raise a hand or say yes. That is all of the hands. So now we are back to the main motion now amended to increase the floor area and uh, allow for the conversion of the parking to usable floor area. Any other discussion of the motion? All right, I think we're ready for a vote, Mr. Leonard. Commissioner Lee. Yes. Commissioner Clark. Yes. Commissioner Weich. Yes. Commissioner Mills. Yes. Commissioner Gibrandle. Yes. Commissioner Sauvé. Yes. 
Commissioner Abrams? Yes. Commissioner Hammerschmidt? Yes. Motion carries. Thank you very much. Good luck at City Council. Thank you very much. All right. Um, now we are on to item 8B, which is the Wizard Fireworks Special Exception Use. Mr. Leonard is moving around all of the folks. Bye, Mr. Kowalski. Trying to see who wrote that, this staff report. Uh, Mr. Chang, and Mr. Chang will actually be starting the presentation this evening. Oh, excellent. Just give me one moment. Yes, I know Matt is leaving us. We can. Right. Good evening, Planning Commission. Uh, as Mr. Lennox just stated, the petitioner deferred to planning staff to make the PowerPoint presentation. So I'll make the presentation uh, and he will be here to answer any questions you may have. So give me a second while I am pulling up the PowerPoint. Okay, can you see the presentation? We can, it's not in full screen mode, but we got. Uh, give me a second here and we'll hopefully get it. There. Now it is. All right, excellent. Let's start from here then. Okay, this is the fire, the Wizards Fireworks Special Exception Use located at 2449 West Stadium Boulevard, uh, also known as Westgate Shopping Mall. Uh, we have the zoning and the aerial maps side by side. As you can see, it's located at the southwest corner of Maple and Jackson Roads. It is zone C3 fringe commercial and for the most part to the north, to the east and to the south. It is also zone C3 and has, for the most part, retail commercial gas station type uses. And then to the west, it's zoned AG, but it is bisected by I-94 and that is a cemetery. Um, this is the Alta survey. This is just the northern section of the site where the proposed temporary uh, outdoor sales would occur. The petitioner is proposing a 30 by 50 tent, 1,500 square feet in the orange rectangular area facing Jackson Road. Um, the sales hours being proposed are from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., approximately three weeks before the 4th of July, and then five days before the 4th of July to increase those hours to midnight. Um, what the petitioner has um, applied for is approximately about five weeks of sales here, but it should be noted that temporary outdoor sales can occur for 180 days in a, in a calendar year. So it could be for other like types of uh, you know, Jersey sales or any other type of um, temporary outdoor sales. Um, the parking lot has 767 parking spaces and it does have a 
uh, required range of a minimum of 589 to 689 spaces. So it will not be taking up any required parking space. And in fact, it's approximately 10 spaces. And there are barricades to prevent um, you know, any type of parking or drive-through traffic for the outdoor sales tent. Uh, this is an aerial photo of the, the entire site. As you can see, the tent is on the northern portion of the site. Um, they do have access points um, to the east and to the west. So, and they're not being impeded whatsoever. There's also one off of South Maple. And, and so no, no traffic or circulation issues. It should be noted for those who have been around on either Planning Commission or at the city for quite some time. The Wizards was actually set up uh, to the south here, and it's the old Quarter Bistro restaurant site, and they had been set up there for, I don't know, maybe the petitioner can ask, but I want to say at least 10 years until it went under construction. And then because it was a new site uh, at Westgate, he had to reapply for his temporary outdoor sales. Uh, and here's a, a, a view uh, looking east from Westgate parking lot. This is kind of where the Rite Aid is. You can see as you're looking um, east, you can see kind of the Zingerman's and Jackson Road. And the tent is gonna be approximately where the car is and the barricades will be right there also. Again, here's another view. Jackson Road, there you can also see one of the entry points at Westgate. And a view from Jackson Avenue, which would be kind of looking right where the temporary outdoor sales tent will be located. I also just wanted to add that the planning, planning manager per the UDC does have authority to waive the public notification within a thousand feet for the special exception use and for uh, a complete site plan. So they just submitted an ALTA survey because no uh, development, there's no changes to the site. This is just temporary outdoor sales. That completes my presentation. Staff supports the proposed temporary outdoor sales uh, and like items. And I'm here to answer any questions along with the petitioner. Thank you. Uh, now I'll open the public hearing. This is an opportunity for persons to speak for up to three minutes about the Wizard Fireworks special exception use approval at 2449 West Stadium. We'll first call on those who are here in council chambers and then those uh, who have joined us remotely to speak. Uh, if you've all, if you're listening by phone, you can press star nine. If you have, if you're viewing through the web link, you can push the raised hand button. And if you're watching us right now, you can call in at 877-853-5247 and then enter our meeting ID 977-6634-1226. Mr. Leonard will select those who have raised their hand, um, calling on you by the last three digits of your telephone number or your name. When speaking, please move to a quiet area and mute any background sounds. Please also state your name and address at the beginning of your comments. Is there anyone present here who would like to provide public comment? Mr. Garber. Thank you, Chair Mills. I won't comment on the greenhouse gas implications of this special exception use. I don't think there are any. Um, and I haven't looked at this proposal. I would just want to point out that um, sales of fireworks is a very marginally, has very marginal, if any, social benefit. And on behalf of um, combat veterans and animals of all types, um, I would just say that fireworks are considered a nuisance at best and a psychological hazard at, at worst. 
I realized that they're legal in Michigan, but I, if I recall correctly, um, that wasn't the case until about 10 years ago when the Snyder administration made a tax grab and legalized um, sale of fireworks. So these are just some random considerations. Um, I don't feel real strongly about this particular um, special exception use, but thought I'd speak up for all the people who uh, hate fireworks. Thank you. Thank you. Mr. Leonard, is there anyone indicating an interest in speaking? There is not. All right, I'll close the public hearing. And did you tell me once upon a time I didn't have to read the whole motion? It, we typically read the whole motion. Okay, I thought we said once upon a time that for the long ones. Okay, I'll speed read. The Ann Arbor City Planning Commission, after hearing all interested persons and reviewing all relevant information, finds the petition to substantially meet the standards in Chapter 55 Unified Development Code, Section 5.29.5 Special Exception Use, and hereby approves the Wizard Fireworks and or Seasonal Items Special Exception Use at 2449 West Stadium Boulevard for the temporary outdoor sales of fireworks and seasonal items. This approval is based on the following findings. One, the proposed use will be consistent with the C3 Fringe Local Business District, which provides for commercial activities including retail establishments, offices, and personal services. Two, the proposed use will not adversely impact traffic, pedestrians, bicyclists, circulation, or road intersections based on the location. Jack's Jackson Avenue and South Maple Road provides access to the site and the proposed use is consistent with other surrounding uses traffic impact. Three, through documentation submitted by the petitioner, Regarding inventory delivery, security, and staffing at, of the sales tent, the temporary outdoor sales will be operated in a manner that will not have an adverse impact on the neighboring properties or area and will not have a detrimental impact on natural features. This special exception use approval is based on the following conditions. One, that the petitioner obtaining and maintaining certification from the Michigan Licensing and Regulatory Affairs under the Michigan Fireworks Safety Act, PA 256, enforced by the Michigan Department of LARA BFS Fire Marshals Division. This must be on display along with insurance and must be compliant with the Retail Fireworks Inspection Guide for temporary CFRS facilities and stands and must be compliant with all applicable codes in NFPA 1124. Two, the petitioner will set up the temporary sales tent as shown on the site plan sheet SP4 and apply for a zoning compliance permit for each sales event. Three, the special exception use tent may not exceed 1,600 square feet and is limited to a maximum of 180 days per calendar year. Four, the petitioner will maintain the operating hours of 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Monday through Sunday and extended until midnight five days before 4th of July and that the Ann Arbor Planning Commission approves the attached site plan which demonstrates compliance with the applicable special exception use standards as no physical development of the property is proposed. Can I have a commissioner move that? Moved by Commissioner Sobey, seconded by Commissioner Lee. Discussion? More questions? Commissioner Abrams? Um, am I right in understanding that uh, this approval is in perpetuity? It's not just for this one time five week time period? That, that is correct. As long as the petitioner continues to submit for zoning compliance permits when there are temporary outdoor sales, it would be in perpetuity. And then, and limit, but always limited to 180 days per calendar year in perpetuity. Okay. Correct. Thank you. Other questions? 
Commissioner Hammerschmidt. I had that same question. And then additionally, so everything we've been talking about has really been around fireworks, but it says, you know, recurring sales of fireworks, novelties, jerseys, and other seasonal objects. I mean, that that's pretty wide range. Um, I mean, is that, I don't know, I guess I just want to know what we're approving the sales of, but maybe that's not our purview and I shouldn't. <laughs> Go ahead. Well, we, as far as from the staff perspective, we wanted to give flexibility. Uh, you know, if the petitioner were to come back in and let's say, hey, the Red Wings or the Pistons or the Lions maybe have a good year, they want to sell some type of seasonal <laughs> item, maybe Christmas trees. <laughs> we want to just incorporate things that they could also sell there besides just fireworks. Is the 180 days like consecutive or could they is could that be split up like if they only sold things for five weeks fireworks that's you know only whatever for 35 days so did they get an additional 145 days but they have correct. to but they would have to come yeah, back maximum limit okay but that's, if it's not consecutive they have to come back and get another Yes. Zoning <laughs> compliance permit, but yes, as long as they, they would only be, they would be limited to a total of 180 sales, temporary outdoor sales days per year. Okay. But to be clear, it does not have to be consecutive. Right, right. That's correct. Okay, thank you. Commissioner Weich. Uh, just a, a question for staff. Um, I'm trying to think of how to word this the best way. Why? <laughs> well, why is capitalism? Um, the, I think the question is, uh, the concern I have is what Commissioner Abrams started with, which is that this is a perpetual license. And the reason why it's before us is because the space they occupied is no longer present. So they're applying for a new space. So that's why it's here. And I think my question is, is there some way for us to do this on an annual basis or a five-year stretch as opposed to a perpetual? Be or, I, or maybe the question is, how would Planning Commission revoke this if there was some desire to cease this if it's a perpetual license? Is there a way to do that? So, and these are just, it, it's just the, the questions that yeah, popped yeah, in my head, so. For sure. Um, to take it a step further, step further back, over the last five or six years, we have modified our outdoor sales regulations. And the ordinance has always held longer term, it sounds crazy, longer term temporary sales to a higher standard than shorter term temporary sales. So we provide, for example, some very short term, I, um, Mr. Chen can correct me, like 10 days or something like that with just a zoning compliance permit. But, um, when you want to occupy, sort of add an outdoor sales area and potentially go longer than that limited period, that's where the special exception use. And then once that happens, as you saw, we wanted, we thought it made sense to not limit this strictly to fireworks. You see a lot of language because fireworks bring additional regulations, but given that cost, we thought, let's make sure it's clear that other things could happen. It is possible to add a term or limit. I wouldn't advise it because um, ultimately the city is making a determination that the standards and criteria for operating this use of this location are appropriate. And why would that change um, 
two or five years from now. Um, so we are making that determination. And like marijuana provisioning centers, for example, this goes with the land. So um, if we wanted to create it through more of a ongoing or more regular criteria, I would suggest we relook at our ordinance and just look at ways to just do it through a zoning compliance period where we could do it on a more regular basis rather than making that declaration and findings from a land use perspective. Does that help? And, and maybe to alleviate some of the concerns from Commissioner Weich, um, they do have to get a zoning compliance permit when they are coming in um, for the temporary outdoor sales. And because the tent is greater than 400 square feet, they've applied for a building permit for the tent. So if there, there were, say, violations or concerns, um, you know, we could either one, you know, start enforcement or may not be able to reissue any type of permits that would allow for the sales out there. Yeah, sorry, I missed that. So if they didn't comply with the standards, then the special exception could be re revoked. Or if the use wasn't established and maintained over time, um, I think it's a, it's a three-year period to establish it. It is a one-year period to seize the use. But I will say that that can be, it's not necessarily, Sometimes the standard is you have to prove that there was an intention not to do it. It just, just didn't occur. So as an example, sometimes uh, say you had an illegal duplex and you didn't rent it. That's different than you renovated it back to a single family home. So, um, so the use is discontinued, it might be revoked or it doesn't meet the conditions. So I'm sorry, I've, I missed that question. Go ahead. Um, is there a way for you, Mr. Leonard, to just note this in your ever-growing list of notes for us to, to talk about? Because it sounds like in order to change this, we'd have to make an ordinance change. Yeah. And um, that isn't the appropriate conversation for this period. But I appreciate um, Commissioner Abrams bringing this um, up to get us started. Any other commissioners with questions or comments? Commissioner Sylvay. Where this tent used to be, we got new development. Maybe it'll happen again. <laughs> That's all I look forward to. So I'll support this. But I think it's great street front uh, in a potentially new zoning district. So I think this is a great, I, I would just say it's a great test uh, to even close down some of the traffic and parking to figure out new uh, patterns within this really large parking block as well. So um, not thinking about what's in the tent, but what the tent can provide for new situational planning uh, for the area could be great. I'm curious if staff can rack their brain, if there would be, we have a lot of conditions because of this particular kind of temporary sales use. Is there anything else, any other seasonal sales that have special conditions that we would typically apply that you would want to put on here? Do you understand what I'm saying? Um, because you're allowing for that flexibility, I just want to see, like, this is clearly a special yeah. regulations, but. No, it's a good question. Um, the only thing that's coming to mind for me is 
It's not quite outdoor sales, but I'm thinking about in the past, there's been special exception uses for temporary cellular towers associated with football games. And often there are regulations about the corresponding operation of a generator associated with that. So um, I don't anticipate that would be necessary for this, but that could be a condition I, that whatever sales happen, that it's clear that we don't want like a diesel generator running for long periods of time um, in that parking lot. It seems like a stretch for any sales that you would need that, but um, that's the only other temporary special exception use condition that comes to mind. Uh, Mr. Mr. Chang, does anything come to your... I'm racking my brains to think of any other type of temporary yeah. or sales that it's... I mean, it's sale, sales we get are like apparel, sometimes plants, um, holiday trees, Christmas trees. Um, this is a question for the petitioner then, actually, because I was thinking about like often in Christmas tree lots, there are lights. How is, um, does the petitioner know, uh, well, first of all, for um, firework sales, do you anticipate having any electricity and how, how are you accessing that? I don't know if you have like lights inside the tent for nine o'clock, I mean, it's summertime, but. Mr. Rodriguez, if you can, uh, if you want to address that, you can unmute yourself and address the commission. We do have the petitioner, right? Okay. Yeah, he's, uh, the petitioner is, I don't know if he's having technical issues, but not, uh, Okay. Oh, wait. Oh. Raised hand. Let me see if I can unmute the petitioner. Can you hear me now? Oh, we yes. There you go. We can. Go ahead. Okay. I'm so sorry. I've never done this before. Uh, yes, ma'am, we do have a 3,500 watt gasoline generator that runs only at night. We have to have that because the state fire marshal requires us to have exit, lit exit signs on both ends of our tent. So we do have uh, a generator that is running that runs our lights and our exit signs. Has, uh, was that the same situation when you were on the other side of the parking lot? Yes, ma'am. I've been doing it um, for closer to 15 to 20 years with Mr. Chang's help the last time. Um, and he's also helped me along with this one also. But yes, we were there for close to 20 years with never any violations of any kind. But yes, ma'am. Okay, so it wasn't, you didn't have uh, like electrical access uh, at the site, at the other part of the parking lot either? No, ma'am. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much. Absolutely. I don't know how that changes. <laughs> uh, how I think about this. Um, I don't know how that changes how I think about this. So. Yeah, well, I would. There are 
I, I don't profess to know, but there definitely are specific fire codes for any tent. Um, as, as Mr. Chang noted, um, once a tent gets over a certain size, it is reviewed by both the fire department and the building department, even though it is a temporary structure to make sure it meets those requirements. Um, I don't profess to know those, but it would be very logical to me that they would be re required to have illumination uh, in the event that somebody can find their way out of the tent. Um, so, yeah. I'm just thinking about it from the perspective of, again, just like we can't clean up natural gas, <laughs> um, you know, our, our grid is getting cleaner. And so as I, I think I would put this in the category of as we're thinking about temporary sales, thinking about uh, this is it's not just specific to this land use and so i don't want to pick on this particular one yeah. but thinking in the future about how they will be uh, like getting electricity because i i would imagine that this it's not just this use uh, i would also say if 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 it's not restricted or required um if the special exception use is a, approved I, I don't know the details but given its proximity to um the public right-of-way um i'm sure mr chang could just sort of raise the question with uh the building department and the fire department and the petitioner to see if there's a way to supply electricity to that apart from a generator yeah um i, I want to be clear that there might be barriers to that that i'm not familiar with but um given that it's not located maybe in the middle of a parking lot maybe Maybe there's more or less potential here. I, I don't know, but um, I'm, we'd be happy. We'd be happy to follow up with that conversation just to explore it. Um, I'll bring it up in commission proposed business when I bring up the conflicting land use buffer and the temporary sales that Commissioner White already noted. So I already got him. Just put it in that part. Um, and I would also say that as we are making our spaces more EV ready, like there will be more electric, like. These are old parking lots. Anyway, um, Commissioner Gibrandel. I would just point out that there's a similar relationship that happens with water in that kind of situation with a fire hydrant where there's a meter that you can get from the city and a backflow preventer that you can just kind of plug right into and there's a way of tracking it. And so this is maybe something that the city should, you know, really think about because it just seems like how can we be having this conversation? You know, like a diesel generator. You know, I mean, so um, if it's been done for water, so clearly it's possible to think about how there can be private interfaces with public utilities in temporary situations where it can be tracked and be safe. So I would challenge the city to come up with a way so that we can do this in a way that makes a lot more sense. You'd all like to invest in my new solar tent business. There you go. <laughs> With batteries. Right. Commissioner Sove. I'm just going to offer this to the petitioner, if you can work with the landlord, that there is at least one uh, parking light that you know, with some minor modifications, it looks like there aren't any outlets at the base of it, but you know, with some minor upgrades and if you're planning on 10, 15 more years of these sales, um, $500 to add an outlet to the base of that light pole to be able to plug into might actually be a good investment for everyone involved as well. So that, that 
I don't think we could like require it, that additional bit, but it's it's readily accessible within the zoning that you're planning on closing off to vehicular traffic to run a, a cord for connection there. Did Mr. raise his hand or is that left over? I think no, that's ma'am, I did not. I'm okay. sorry. <laughs> no, 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 that's, that's, you're fine. Uh, if I may just add a little bit more background information to, uh, because Mr. Rodriguez, this is the fireworks season now in June, he's already applied for his tent permit and his zoning compliance. So you, you may, it's ready to get approved. So he may be actually installing the tent tomorrow once the permits are issued tomorrow morning. So I think he's ahead of the game right now as far as getting his permits in. He's already having informal discussions with them. He's already got his fire department approval. So I think these are things that he's going to you know, possibly look into, but I think he's probably going to, you're gonna start seeing his tent set up in the next day or two. Very good. Anything else? All right, I think we're ready for a vote, Mr. Leonard. So this is the special exception use uh, motion as presented in the staff report. Commissioner Lee? Yes. Commissioner Clark? Yes. Commissioner Weich? Yes. Commissioner Mills? Yes. Commissioner Gabriel? Yes. Commissioner Sove? Yes. Commissioner Abrams? Yes. Commissioner Hammerschmidt? Yes. Motion carries unanimously. It's approved. Very good. Uh, uh, we will, you, so um, despite timing, we will initiate a conversation with uh, all parties, petitioner, building, fire, to see about the opportunities to improve that arrangement. Thank you. Well, I want to thank you guys very much. I really appreciate it. All right, very good. Thank you. Uh, item nine is public comment. This is the final opportunity for persons to speak for up to three minutes about any item um, on the agenda or not. Uh, if you're here in person, you can participate and we'll call on you first. Uh, if you're joining remotely, you can press star nine, the raise hand button on your phone, the raise hand button through Zoom or call in 877-853-5247. Our meeting ID is 977-6634-1226. Mr. Leonard, we'll call on those who have raised their hands. Please mute any background sounds so we can hear you clearly. Uh, and state your name and address at the beginning of your comments. Would anyone like to participate in the public comment? Believe it or not, this is not fun for me. Um, Ken Garber again. Um, I guess I get to add 340 Depot to my little bottle cap list of petitioner deflections, evasions, and excuses. Um, I don't really think it needs to be said that you need an engineering study to commit to full electrification. Um, you know, I just bring up again, as I did earlier, 2111 Packard, uh, this developer um, came in, didn't need any arm twisting, wanted to electrify that mixed residential retail project and is going to do it, I mean, without going through a mechanical engineering study. Um, they have retail as well. I don't think they're concerned about their, um, uh, the, the retail um, renters that they're going to have. So not much more to be said. Um, thank you. Thank you. 
Mr. Leonard, is there anyone online? There is not. All right, uh, let's move on to item 10, commission proposed business. Yes, Mr. Leonard. I have club with residentially used versus residentially zoned. I have outdoor sales. I am presuming that part of that is do we need a special exception use for outdoor sales or would it be better just on a temporary repeated basis? And included in that should be a minimization of fossil fuel impacts like buildings. How can we orient temporary sales to the existing electrical grid? Yes. Thank you. Any other commission proposed business? Item 11. Oh, 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 oh. sorry, Commissioner Gibrandle. So this is completely unrelated to anything we've talked about at all, but this has really been bothering me for the last couple of months, which is that, you know, before COVID, people came in here to speak to us. And I think that there's a relationship that happens when people are in front of us and we can see them. And when it's on Zoom and it's just a name, it feels really disembodied to me. And I would like, at the, if they can have the convenience of being home, I think we deserve to be able to actually look each other in the face. I just feel like people can kind of hide behind their cameras sometimes. And I really would like to have a, the possibility of having a more authentic connection with the people as they present. It doesn't have to be through the whole meeting or anything like that, but while they're speaking, or while their team is up or something like that, you know, we've had the benefit of sort of having that human connection in the room for decades and decades and decades. And it feels like it's really sucked back now, like too much. And um, I think if they have issues with technology, they can come in because that's the way it's always been. So that's my two cents on it. <laughs> but it's just one of these things that's petitioners. Yep, exactly. So I feel like there's been some discussions over the last couple of months where it's like things have gotten a little heated and it's like the person is behind their black screen and I just, I don't like it. I really like to be able to understand facial expression and all those cues that just give us a sense of how the interaction is going. So that's me personally, but um, again, unrelated to anything you've been talking about, but it's just one of those things that's been getting at me. Well, I so to that, we can, we can work to um, educate and expect video on from petitioners. But I also want to be clear that thus far, I've been communicating to petitioners that we welcome their participation remotely. We don't have to do that. We could, we could flip the switch and ask for the team or a representative of the team to be in person. Um, so not something we have to decide, but um, I've been, you know, you see my, our t my team is remote, the petitioners are remote. I have still been of the mind of trying to sort of limit the people in this room. Um, if that is having adverse impacts, um, again, I, I'm not saying we have to go there, but if um, we will start, we can start communicating immediately with, you know, the expectation to keep videos on. Um, I think it's, Occasionally, there's an issue with I, with sure. IT, but that's pretty rare, I think. Um, 
but if that is not satisfactory, I just want to be clear. I could take your direction and just start communicating to people that we expect to have them in person for their petitions. For me personally, I'm okay with them being remote as long as if they're remote, their camera's on during their, their team's time or while they're speaking at the very least. That's, that's again, that's one member out of the entire body here, but I feel like that's kind of the least they can do if they're gonna have the convenience of being home, that they can at least be kind of present for their team's presentation. We'll work on As it. do I. Thank you. Any other commission proposed business? I don't want to put you on the spot, but I want to acknowledge your presence. Thanks for being here tonight. <laughs> Are you here with school or with a troop or? Uh, I came here to fulfill American Fantastic. Well, I hope that you learned something about how local government works and that we are all volunteers talking about different things every week. <laughs> Great. Uh, anything else? Anyone want to make a motion to adjourn? Moved by Commissioner White, seconded by Commissioner Zove. All in favor, please say yes or raise a hand and that's all the hands. Thank you folks. We'll see you on Zoom next week.